Welcome to Bowling Springs Baptist Church, where we learn and grow together in Christ. We now join the church in worship. We're glad to have you here. Uh, a few announcements. We will be having a fall festival next Sunday night from 5 to 7. Sunday school classes are asked to participate by having candy or small games for people to play. Also, we need people here to interact with people as they come through the church. We're doing it a little different this year. We're not having trunk or treat out in the parking lot. We're actually having it in the church so we can get people into the church building. Wednesday will be the senior adult lunch at 11.30. Reed Jolly will be sharing with you, uh, be doing a program on the Greenway. So please come out, all senior adults. Today is the beginning of our lay-led renewal services. I hope that uh, you have taken the opportunity this past week to uh, go through the devotional each day and pray for these people. On the back is a list of everyone that will be participating today uh, and this evening. Please come out this evening at 5 o'clock. We're having another service. And then tomorrow night at 7. And uh, each one of these people uh, will be sharing with you different things about their lives, whether it's something they're going through, but it's about their faith journey. So I hope that you will take the time to be here this evening and tomorrow night to uh, listen to them share. I think that uh, I was telling my Sunday school class this morning that um, a lot of people talk about coincidences. Uh, I was listening last Sunday or last week sometime. There was a guy on, uh, it's either 60 minutes or 48 hours or something like that, and he has a website called godwinks.com. I sort of like the term God winks, so I'm going to steal it from him. Uh, when we look at our scripture this morning in our Sunday school classes, it really goes re really well with what we're trying to accomplish in the Lay Led Revival. So I'm going to read that scripture and then go from there. So brothers and sisters, because of God's mercies, I encourage you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice that is holy and pleasing to God. This is your appropriate priestly service. Don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you can figure out what God's will is, what is pleasing, what, good, what is good and pleasing and mature. Because of the grace that God gave me, I can say to each one of you, don't think of yourselves more highly than you ought to. Instead, be reasonable since God has measured out a portion of faith for each of you. We have many parts in this one body. But the parts don't all have the same function. In the same function, though there are many of us, we are one body in Christ, and individually we belong to each other. We have different gifts that are consistent with God's grace that we have been given, that have been given to us. If your gift is prophecy, you should prophesy in proportion to your faith. If your gift is service, devote yourself to serving. If your gift is teaching, Teach yourself, devote yourself to teaching. If your gift is encouragement, devote yourself to encouraging. The one giving should be, should do it with no strings attached. The leader should lead with passion. The one showing mercy should be cheerful. Love should be shown without pretending. Hate evil and hold on to what is good. Love each other like the members of your family. Be the best at showing honor to each other. Don't hesitate to be enthusiastic. Be on fire in the Spirit as you serve the Lord. Be happy in your hope. Stand, on your, stand your ground when you're in trouble and devote yourselves to prayer. People, this is what the Lay Led Revival is all about. 
Each one of us have, has different gifts. We should love each other as family members, and we should support each other, and when we do, our church will grow. Let's bow for prayer. I dear Heavenly Father, as we come before you today, we humble, our, humble ourselves, Father. We know that nothing is impossible without you, with you. We can do all things, Father. We um, all have different gifts, Lord. And as we go through this time, Father, and through these services, I think we will recognize that all these different people have many different gifts, Father. And Lord, just point us, point out to us our gifts so that we may serve you better in our church, Father. And all our focus may be on you. We ask these things in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. like to welcome everyone and offer the time of getting your hymn book. We're actually using the hymn book for all the hymns during the lay-led renewal services. The first hymn is number 426, and I believe if you're here today, you have a victory to share with the world in Jesus Christ. So please stand and sing.
said, Amen. I'd like to take this opportunity to thank the committee that put this weekend together. As the pastor said last week, it's a great effort. And I think that, as he said, great things will come out of this for each of us and for our church. I want to thank you for the opportunity to share this mission moment about God's work at the Baptist Children's Homes of North Carolina. This mission project is something that is very dear to us and has been and continues to be. The Children's Home is in its 129th year of operation and ministry of serving families in North Carolina. I would ask you if you would, not now, but take the insert in the bulletin and take that home and refer to it and find all the facts and figures there and all the various places of ministry all the way from Hayesville to Husky in the eastern part of North Carolina and the various kinds of ministries. One fact on that sheet that I want to call specific attention to is that 70% of the children and families served are unreached for Jesus Christ when they come to the Baptist Children's Homes of North Carolina. Many of the children come from environments of abandonment, loneliness, neglect, abuse, including physical, emotional, and sexual abuse. At the Baptist Children's Homes, these children are provided a safe place, a provided regular meals that they many times do not have, clean clothing, loving house parents who care for them as a genuine loving family and present the gospel message of Jesus Christ to them. We all make it possible for Baptist Children's Homes Christian staff to share openly and honestly with them the hope in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. The philosophy and mission or vision statement is sharing hope, changing lives. I want to speak on behalf of our mission friends, the GAs and the RAs, and applaud them and their leaders for guiding us in raising funds for helping children. North Carolina Baptist Children's Homes has various projects, events, or ways for churches and organizations to raise funds. One such project started many years ago is the collecting of what we call a mile of pennies. One church has celebrated its raising of 25 miles of pennies for Baptist Children's Home. You might ask, how many pennies are in a mile? There are 84,440 pennies in a mile. Now, a mile, those of us that are much younger will recall more readily for them that a mile equals 5,280 feet. And if we go from the parking lot of our church and go up to Ingalls, that is right at a mile. So a penny is three quarters of an inch wide or in diameter. And if you lay them back to back, that's how many pennies it would take to reach a mile. A mile of pennies is equal to $844.40 
when laid edge to edge. At the end of the service, this week and next week, we have the opportunity to assist these young people to give to North Carolina Baptist Children's Homes. The GAs today and next Sunday will be at the back of the church to receive our gifts. And I want to thank each of you for helping our church and our mission friends reach the goal and mission of helping children and changing lives through our gifts. Thank you. Good morning, boys and girls. Who is the only person that lived on earth without sin? Does anyone know? Jesus Christ, that is correct. All of us, even though we are Christians, we commit sin and are sinners. Today, tonight, and tomorrow night, we are having a renewal service at our church. Does anyone know what renew means? Good. Renew means to make new or clean. <clears throat> Which of these shirts looks better? The one in the white. I borrowed this from Pa. <laughs> <laughs> this is a dirty shirt. This is like our hearts when we are full of sin. This is a clean shirt. This is like our heart when we ask God to forgive us of our sins. So how can we renew our hearts and clean them of sin? Any ideas? What can we do as Christians? Help our whole country. We can pray and study God's word and ask God for forgiveness of our sins. Would anyone like to pray for us this morning? Okay, um, dear God, thank you for this day, um, and uh, so far it's been a really great day, and I uh, hope we have one kind of like this tomorrow. Good day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
to go, ladies. Thank you. That got my heart stirring. Um, good morning, church. I want to say a word of praise. Uh, last Sunday, my family was so blessed, and we were so excited, and we could not believe what we received as far as the, the babies were concerned. They had enough money to buy car seats yesterday, and the blessing was from you. We appreciate you. Thank you so much. Uh, I want to talk to you a minute about these shirts. I'm not dressed for this Sunday. I'm dressed for next Sunday. If you bought one of these shirts a while back, then I want you to pull it out and wear it next Sunday. Remember, it's got the reaching up and reaching out. I, I think that's what we're all about. And for the next few minutes, I'm going to ask you to get out of your comfort zone. Now, we all sit in the same places, so we know the people who are on each side of us. So I want you to reach to your left. And if you're a little bit challenged, this is your sign. Your left. Reach to your left. Put your hand on someone's shoulder. Wrap your arms around them. Whatever you want to do that you feel comfortable with. And if you feel good about it, you can raise your hand and praise God because you're reaching up. You're praising God. So your left hand, right hand, whatever, whoever you can get a hold of. You should be comfortable with each other. Feel comfortable in doing that. I want you to open your hearts. We're talking about confession and cleansing and obeying. So while this song plays, I want you to be thinking about that. Confession and cleansing and obeying. When it says I am, we're talking about the I am the God who provides everything for us. But we're also the I am to each other. So I want you to spend some time this next couple of minutes being the I am for that person beside of you. It's usually the loved one that you have, and you don't have time all during the week to tell them that you are the I am for them. I want you to take that time today. Thank you.
is my resurrection song. This is my hallelujah come. This is why it's to you I run. Terry. She was singing that song to me right beside me and I am holding on through the storm. I have had lots of storms. Um, I was asked to share a scripture this morning that I like and tell you why I like this. There are lots of scriptures that I like but this one sort of jumped out to me. I'm reading from the Life Application Bible, 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. A lot of you probably don't remember this, you know, if you've, when you've read your Bible, but this one jumped out at me. Um, I've always loved the early mornings, seeing the sunshine on a brand new day. And for almost three years, we were living at Moss Lake with my daughter and her husband, helping to take care of our precious grandchildren because they worked different shifts. When I would come back to Bowling Springs in the mornings for work, I would pass by a certain view of the lake, and I always looked out that way, and it would catch the early morning sun on the lake right there, and it would give me peace. Well, each day it was different. It was never, never the same, and I was just amazed by it. And each day I felt the Lord speaking to me in my heart, reminding me 
that he gave me that light to remind me of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. I was reminded of his goodness and his grace and his mercy in my life. I was reminded to thank him for all my blessings. And I was reminded to trust him with things in my life that were too complicated and troublesome for me to handle on my own. All of my storms I gave to him. And it gave me a peace that I could handle them. I'm so glad that I had those almost three years of those reminders. Three years of watching the sun shine on that lake through clear skies and fog and rain and snow, through all the seasons, I saw that sun coming through. Even though it was cloudy, I knew that sun was there. Just like that I knew that the sun is there for me. I was blessed beyond what I can even say to you. Earlier this year, I felt that those years prepared me to face the very real possibility of the end of my earthly life. I held on to the sunlight, which always reminded me of his son's light in my life. And I knew that whatever the outcome of my illness, that God would be with me. I'm very thankful that I'm still here. And I feel I was given a new life to love all those around me, all of you, and continually grow in the knowledge of his truths. I am still reminded of the many, many blessings that he's given me each morning when I'm on my way to Shelby for my cardiac rehab. I'm amazed by the different views of the sun coming up in my face. It's never the same, and each one is simply awesome. The dawning of each new day gives me joy. It gives me total amazement of my God, who loves me enough to allow me this. And I am reminded again that as long as I am his child, that I will greet each new day with that sunshine in my soul. You know those cartoons, uh, uh, maybe it's uh, Coyote and the Roadrunner and that kind of thing, and uh, you know where the Coyote is chasing the Roadrunner and the Roadrunner flies off and the Coyote runs out and he runs off of a cliff. You know how to, and it's a momentary freeze and he's off the cliff and he goes, and then he goes, you know, like that. Well, that's, that's kind of the way I feel right now. So, <laughs> so, so uh, but uh, I was, uh, 
I was saved when I was eight years old. Uh, just a kid. Just a kid. And uh, uh, it was in the, I think it was in the summertime of 1954 and somewhere along in there. And uh, uh, we were, uh, lived in the Elizabeth Church community and Dr. Zeno Wall was our preacher. Wonderful man, wonderful man. And uh, he, uh, he preached and uh, of course my mom and dad had, uh, I lived in a Christian home and they were wonderful Christian people. Uh, older folks, by the way. It was like growing up with your grandparents. Uh, my mother was uh, 42 and my daddy was a little bit older when I was born. So both of them basically had a uh, complete career uh, before they ever got married. And uh, then, uh, then I came along, had one brother, and uh, wonderful Christian home, and my daddy set me down beside the space heater and taught me the books of the Bible, and uh, I remember that, and I got a lot of fond memories of that. So I knew about Jesus, and I was, uh, my folks witnessed me in, in the home, and uh, then Dr. Wall, he, he in, issued an invitation, and I had not discussed this with my parents. Uh, it wasn't one of those things where you say, well, I, you know, it's time to be saved, or, you know, sometimes I was urged or anything like that. And uh, Dr. Wall issued the invitation, and I don't know what I do now, but I didn't then. <laughs> I don't know what it was, but I was totally compelled to go down and talk to him. And uh, I was uh, an eight-year-old kid, shy. I couldn't hardly speak. Didn't like to be around people. And uh, but there I was, and I don't know. It was just like something picked me up, and just it's like I was on roller skates and just going right down, you know. And I went down there and I, I, t I told him that I wanted to be saved and that I believed that Jesus was God's son. And, uh, and that was that. So uh, after that, I continued to uh, enjoy my childhood and uh, living on the little farm that we lived on and uh, riding my pony and and uh, shooting Indians in the woods and robbing stagecoaches and pretty much grew up, lived an existence where I was by myself. Didn't have a lot of neighbors and friends. And then uh, probably, I think I was 10 years old and uh, uh, some of you may remember this, some of you may have seen it in movies, but uh, uh, they used to have the chain gang. And uh, these people on the chain gang, they wore white, black and white striped suits. And some of them were literally in chains. And they'd bring these people, the convicts, we call them, they'd bring them down and uh, uh, clean the side ditches and work on the road, you know, which was their penance for uh, what they had done. And uh, <clears throat> so I was out there one summer, school was out, which was my favorite thing about school. And... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> And I was out there one summer, and I saw these people out there working, and I, wa I walked out there to, uh, 
to get a closer look, which I did. And the guard who was carrying the shotgun, you know, he admonished me and he said, no, you, you get back. You know, you don't need to get close here, you know. But I was fascinated by that. Sort of uh, uh, these maybe murderers, maybe whatever they were, I don't know. But uh, it didn't bother me. I was always kind of drawn to the edge. And, uh, but, but anyway, uh, they, uh, they worked on down the road and uh, don't know that these two things were related in any way. But I looked down out there playing in the side ditch and I saw this bottle. And uh, I went over there and I looked at never seen anything like it before in my life. And I looked down and had a cork in the top of it. And uh, I picked that bottle up, and I'll never forget it. I stood there and I looked at it, and there was a little bit of liquid in the bottom of it, about that much. And I popped the cork out of that thing, and I went like that. And I thought, hmm, that's interesting. That's interesting. And I, I turned it up. And I tasted it, and it kind of made me shiver. And I thought, I like that. <laughs> well, the next thing I knew, I was 12 years old, and I had a bottle of whiskey that I had taken from my uncle's barn. No, wait, let me rephrase that. I stole it. I stole it from my uncle's barn. And uh, I had a string tied to the top of it. And there was a place in my room after we finally got uh, central air, you know, heat in the house. And there was a crack between the, uh, the air duct and the wall. And I'd slide that down in that air crack, that crack. And I had the little string there where I could pull it out and uh, my parents wouldn't know about it. And I don't guess they did know about it. I'm not sure to this day. But they soon knew about other things. And uh, so uh, that was the beginning of uh, things I'm not going to tell you about. From eight years, from about 10 years old up to 20 and uh, I'm, I'm grateful that uh, I, I'm not in prison. And I, I'm, uh, I'm grateful for uh, uh, God's grace in my life. And <clears throat> I'm grateful to Sherry because she saved, helped save me from myself. But here's what happened now. After that... So it got saved when I was eight years old. And all this while I'm questioning all that. I'm saying, well, am I really saved? What's wrong with me? Am I, am I this? Am I, I'm, do, I'm not acting that way. I'm doing this and I'm doing it. Why do I do the things I do? Go to bed at night and I'm praying and asking God to forgive me for what I just did. On, uh, and then... I'm praying and asking God to forgive me again for what I just did. And then I'm praying and saying, I did it again, I did it again, I did it. And, and just on, on and on. 
And it's, and it's like driving me nuts. Like, well, maybe I'm not saved. Maybe there's something wrong with me. Uh, as I got a little older, uh, in working and, and going to college, had a couple of friends, grown men. And we would talk about uh, church. We'd talk about uh, uh, things like that. You know, I had, it, I had it down pat. I knew how to do that. And uh, they, both of these men questioned my salvation as I talked to them. One of them said, oh, no, you're not saved. You're, you're, number one, you're too young to know what you were doing. No way you could know what you were doing at that age. You weren't at the age of accountability. And then the other one uh, that talked to me was uh, very similar. And as a matter of fact, I won't call this, both of them were preachers, by the way, and I won't call this other one's name, but he was so burdened for me that he would talk to me and he would call me. He came to my house about 10 o'clock one night. And I opened the door and we were good friends. Hey, man, come on in. And he said, I'm going to take you, I'm gonna, I, I want to take you right now and baptize you. Because I think you believe that you need to be baptized. And uh, I wouldn't do it. Something inside of me said no. I was saved when I was eight years old. <laughs> Admittedly, I'm sitting there thinking, I sure don't act like it. But I was saved. And I said, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. And I didn't. And uh, so about the time I got out of college, uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure my mom had a lot to do with this, but there was a, uh, a whole bunch of people, you know. They were coming and, uh, to visit me, to get me back in church. <laughs> and here they'd come, you know, one after the other. And they did. I, I finally went, and uh, matter of fact, it wasn't long after they started teaching the Sunday school class. Now, wasn't that something? You know, uh, I can tell you right now, the only person that learned anything in that class was me. And uh, but uh, that's when I began to uh, understand some of my struggle, the uh, uh, the inner man, outer man struggle that Paul talks about. And that's when I began to uh, have a real identity with Paul as I read and began to dive a little deeper into some of what he said about his struggle. And uh, I'm thankful for that because I, I'm not sure. There's lots of stories in the Bible about struggles, you know, in different people. But I'm not sure there's one exactly like Paul's where, where he just lays himself out and says, yeah, uh, what I want to do, what I know to do, I know the right thing, and I, I know what I should be doing. You know, I'm well instructed and all that, but don't do it. And what I want to do, you know, I don't do. And yet, at the same time, he says, my inner man my mind and my inner man, I serve God. So I'm still to this day fascinated and wanting to know more about Paul. But the concepts that Paul talked about there, 
really, uh, really became appealing to me. And uh, I want to, I'm going to get, I'm a little long-winded here. I know it, and I'm, I'm sorry because uh, I'm going to, I'm going to jump in. Let me, let me, let me read to you a little bit about what things that grabbed me with Paul. This is in the fourth chapter of Romans, starting in verse three. And Paul said, he's talking about, uh, talking about salvation. And here he's particularly talking about Abraham. And uh, you know how people do that? You know how people talk? They say, well, how do people get saved? How does somebody get saved before grace? How does somebody get saved before? You know, we all do that. We, we do all, we play all these games and, uh, and uh, we talk about, uh, I guess, working out our salvation maybe, such as Paul talks about. But anyway, Paul says, for what saith the scripture about Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him as righteousness. Well, I tried to dig a little deeper in that. Maybe I need a little help with it. Do you know what I came up? You know what some of the commentaries said? Paul lived, uh, Abraham lived before grace. He was not offered the covenant of grace like we. Abraham lived before grace, but he, had, he believed. He believed. And his faith was all that was necessary was all that was necessary, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Righteousness as though he were a perfect man, as though he had never sinned. And then Paul says, Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. Now, when he talks about work right there, I don't know if you know, some people might think he's talking about good deed. He's talking about working to keep the law. And I struggled with that for a long time. Oh, if you was a Christian, you wouldn't be doing this. And Paul says, Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. What he's saying there is that if you can do anything to be saved, Besides have faith and believe. If you can do anything, then you have, you have indebted God to you. Now, I don't think we can do that, but that's what he's saying. Is it grace? Is it a gift? If it's a gift, it's free. If it's not a gift, there's something you can do to get the gift. And he makes that very clear. And so all of my shenanigans and the eight-year-old boy trying to get saved, I'm thinking maybe it was something I, I needed to do, something I didn't know. I should have done something. Was believing not enough to be saved. And the Holy Spirit showed me, and thank goodness for the message from Paul, that yes, believing was enough for me. Believing is enough to be saved. I made the mistake of doing something that, uh, but we learn by our mistakes, hopefully. Made the mistake of doing something that uh, in Colossians, the second chapter. And here, Paul says in verse 8, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy 
vain deceit and after the traditions of men or the rudiments of the world. And when I read that, I thought, no, there's nothing to be added to grace and faith. People want to do it though. They want to come up with all these little things and there's nothing to be added. So I made a long journey, uh, made a big circle. I'm still running around in circles, but I made a big circle and I finally got back to that eight-year-old kid. And I, I realized he did it right the first time. Thank you. I think this next hymn, number 410, if you'll get your hymn books, we'll sing the first and last stanza of 410, but I think it very much relates to both of the sharings of Betsy and Jean, where that we can say it is well with our soul when we are depending on our God through Jesus. Please stand. With apologies for changing a few of the words in the hymn song by Francis Havergill, would you pray with me, please? 
take our lives and let them be consecrated to thee. Take our hearts, take our hands, and let them move at the impulse of thy love. Take our feet and let them be beautiful for thee. Take our voices and let us sing always only for our king. Take our wills and make them line. Let them be no longer ours. Take our hearts that they may move always at the impulse of thy love. Take our silver and our gold, not a mite would we withhold. Take our moments and our days and let them flow in ceaseless praise. Accept what we bring to thee today, our Father, as our love offering to thee. Bless the offerings and use them in thy kingdom service, for we pray in thy name. Amen. I wanted to share the significance of the song I just played. We usually think of Go Tell on the Mountain as a Christmas song, but as we begin to think about and prepare for the Lottie Moon Christmas offering season, I remember the words of Jesus before he left this earth from Matthew 28, 19, 19 through 20. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of age. These verses remind us that as followers of Christ, we are to go tell it on the mountain and share the good news of Jesus all year long.
grateful to be here today to share a little about my spiritual journey in five to ten minutes. So obviously it's going to be the Reader's Digest condensed version. Um, Because of that, I've been praying and thinking about this for several weeks, and I've chosen to share a few of the scenes from my life that illustrate how God has always been with me. First, in 1961, I was born into a Christian home with the most loving and supportive parents that anyone could ever hope to have. I was taught to pray, to attend church, to put the needs of others before the needs of myself, and to do all I could to help meet those needs. My pastors growing up were J. Edgar Bishop and Dr. Clyde Chapman, They were both very gentle, yet strong men of God. They led me to the cross, and I accepted Christ as my Savior at the age of nine. Um, I remember the day that I accepted uh, Christ into my life. Uh, I remember the pastor saying that you would feel God knocking at the door of your heart. And I think I feel my heart doing that today, too. (laughs) Uh, But I I remember that, and I remember my heart pounding. And and like Jean said, I I felt compelled. I had to go. And um, and I can truly say that God was there with me that day because I was also a very shy young girl, and it was hard for me to walk down that aisle, but he was with me. Now, fast forward... To 1981, 20 years later, when a young man from Gardner Webb <laughs> came to our church to support his friend who was being baptized, we met, and I knew there was something very special about him. Although we are very different people, I know that God brought him into my life to help make me a stronger person. We have been truly blessed with two amazing children and a daughter-in-law now who are all Christians. God was there. My grandfather Bridges was another strong Christian influence in our family. He was an humble leader in the church, a quiet yet gentle man. As he aged, he developed Alzheimer's. The years passed, and his trademark smile faded to a frightened, confused look associated with that disease. As his time on earth was coming to an end, it was my true honor 
and blessing to be there with him, surrounded by his family. God showed us a glimpse of heaven that day. When my grandfather's smile returned during his last hours, we wondered what a glorious sight he must be seeing. God was there. On a cold December night in 1994, my parents had watched the children for me and Tim to go Christmas shopping. We returned to gather our children and started on our journey home in two separate vehicles. I took Dusty in the station wagon, and Tim took Kristen in the truck. I was in the lead, so out of habit, I frequently looked in the rearview mirror to see the truck following us. Suddenly, I realized they were no longer there. After driving a short distance, I turned around onto Cab Street heading back towards Highway 74. I saw flashing lights and a horrifying sight. The truck carrying my precious husband and daughter was in the middle of an intersection broadsided by a drunk driver. I pulled into a service station parking lot. Dusty was asleep in the car. I was disoriented, frightened, confused. I looked up, and there was a young man that I knew. He graciously watched Dusty for me so I could run to check on Tim and Kristen. I was crying and shaking when I saw the mangled truck. The drunk driver had hit the passenger side, but God was there protecting my family. At the time, Jim Richardson was our pastor, And he beat us to the emergency room, just so you know. (laughs) I don't know how he did that, but he did. Um, Both Tim and Kristen were physically okay. Praise be to God. The next day, we went to see that truck. It was destroyed, both in front of and behind where our baby girl was sitting in her car seat. God was there. I am so very thankful that God called me into public education because that was not what my thoughts were. I was a four-year business major from from UNC Charlotte. Gail Hamrick has a pretty similar story she could share except from Chapel Hill. Um, But I'm very glad that God called me into teaching. What a mission field this is. I have enjoyed working with young people for over 30 years now, 28 of those at Crest High School. Although they are all special in their own way, there are some students who just hold a special place in our hearts. One of those for me was a young man named Matt. He was a student in my geometry class in room 310. He sat in the back corner of my room always smiling, curious, and a friend to everyone. He talked to me quite frequently about the teaching profession. He told me of his dreams to teach math and to coach. I always thought of Matt as a big old teddy bear. He was a lineman on the varsity football team, 
strong as a bull, but so very sensitive. Every day as he left school, he would come by my room, smile, and say, See you tomorrow. One evening, soon after Matt's 16th birthday, our phone rang. It was after midnight. On the other end of the line was a friend of mine telling me that Matt had been killed in a car accident. I couldn't believe it. The empty chair in that classroom was almost unbearable. But God was there, comforting the students, giving them the opportunity to grieve, to ask questions. Tim and I are embarking on a new and exciting journey in June of 2015, in case you haven't heard. This journey is called retirement. We are both so thankful to God for the opportunities he has given us to work with young people, to help them grow and achieve, to provide Christian influence in the public schools. As we leave the familiar workplaces of Crest High School and Shelby Middle School, we will miss our dear friends and co-workers and the students, but we look forward to seeing what God has in store for us. New opportunities to grow, to minister, to enjoy each other and our families. Although we do not know what the future holds, we know that God is already there. I'd like to read one of my favorite verses, Jeremiah 29, 11. We have this hanging on a little plaque in our bathroom, so I see it every day. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and to not harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Thank you.
want to take this privilege to thank you for your prayers and your concern. God has a way in all of our lives. I was listening to the choir. About seven months ago, I thought God was calling me home. It was like I had my funeral service and I was about to go. And sure enough, I had a cardiac arrest. And the doctor told me I had about 1% chance of surviving. I did through God's love, my wife's concern and prayer, and your prayers and love. It makes a difference in everybody's life. This service has meant a lot to me. You know, in 32 years, I guess you'll have to work a little harder to catch up with Billy Graham, but otherwise you're doing super well. Let us pray. Lord, you have blessed us in worship. Bless us as we go to serve you, to love, and to help others. Teach us your will for our life, and may we grow in your grace and in your service to such a way that people will know that we know you, love you, and one day we'll have eternal hope in you. In your name we pray. Amen. You have been listening to the worship service at Boiling Springs Baptist Church, located at 307 South Main Street in Boiling Springs, North Carolina. Come and worship with us at your next opportunity. Thank you for listening.